Oh. All right. Thanks, Kevin, for stirring up that hornet's nest. Thank you so much. Hey, um, just so you, I'm sure you've recognized, we're well into our construction. One of our goals this year is to have uh, restrooms upstairs. So a little bit of inconvenience in the meantime. I think that there's one stall downstairs in the ladies' room. And so, you know, we just have to wait in line. Hopefully that's going to be the only week that that happens. But thank you for your patience with dust and construction. We're moving ahead and uh, trying to meet some needs that we have. How many of you have a job where somebody's always trying to tell you what to do, that you're doing it wrong or a different way? Nancy, you put your hand down, Nancy. <laughs> Administrative assistant, I don't know. I don't know who. Hey, you know, you always got somebody that's trying to tell you how to pave or something like that. It's kind of one of the natures that goes along with what I do for a living and what you do. I know it's not just inclusive to me. But oftentimes when people come into the church and people start seeking the Lord, they come from a place like I was, pretty far from Christ. And maybe if you don't mind me just saying, pretty liberal in their thinking and that type of thing. I'm thinking of a, of a guy who really became my friend who basically saw that I was driving a foreign car. I think I was a Mazda or something at the time. And because he was pro-American in every way, he said to me, you know, as a pastor, you should not be driving that car. Which I said in my mind, well, if you buy me another car, I'll drive whatever it is you buy me, as long as it's reliable. And as I talked to him, and as he kind of filtered along and that type of thing, I did what all of you do when somebody gives you a bit of advice. You just shake your head and go on and do what you're going to do anyway. And so you just kind of move along. And it was so interesting to see him and his wife come to this place where, you know, they're thinking on abortion, they're thinking on politics, they're thinking on all kinds of liberal stuff, eventually coming to the other side and him saying to me, Evan, you have no idea how tough it was for us to come from where we were to where we are now. And I probably didn't. And when I think about that, I think about how they came so full circle. You see in the top of your notes, the message today, full circle. Pull out your sermon notes. If you've got a pen there, which you should, fill it in. If you have your smartphone, you can go to the Bible app. The message and the notes are also on your Bible app. You're welcome to follow along there. You see, the definition of full circle is a complete reversal of the original position. A complete reversal of the original position. You know, it's like a kid that grows up, and they start out thinking their parents are wonderful. My dad could beat anybody's dad up. You know, they're just there, they're in there, and all of a sudden, they come back to this place where my parents are stupid. My parents, I hate you, just in case you don't know. You don't know what's best for me. You want to crush me. You don't want me to hang out with my friends, who are basically convicts. And then they come full circle and back to where they were. They get a little bit older. They get a job. They get a car. They need a little bit of help. They need a little bit of financing. Now we're not so stupid, are we? Now you need us. And they come to that place as they grow up, hopefully, where they say, you know, I'm back to where I was when I was a kid. I, I really do appreciate my mom and my dad. And since all people are born with what the Bible calls a sinful nature, call it original sin, whatever it might be, we all start off spiritually disconnected from God. That's where we start. We'll take a look at the Scriptures today. When we decide to seek Him, that is your decision. When I decided to seek Christ at 25, 26 years old, you have the ability to come full circle. Could you look in your notes? 
that I have in there, the spiritual circle. I'd like to talk to you today about the spiritual circle. It's found in the book of Ephesians. If you have a Bible, open it up, take a look at it on your phone, whatever it might be. I have the notes, and I have them on both sides today, just to, because we're doing something a little different today. Come full circle. I want to start with where we start in the circle, in the spiritual circle. Ephesians 1, number 1, would you fill it in with me? When it comes to the spiritual circle, you and I, we are basically broke. You may have something in the physical world. You may have something in the material world. You may have a lot. You may have a little. But if you live in America, you have quite a bit compared to the rest of the world. But everybody on the face of the planet starts spiritually broke. Look at verse 1 of Ephesians 2. As for you, Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus, a church that's made up of Gentiles and Jews who both had come to know Jesus Christ. Like the song said, they came to the cross. But as for you, you were dead spiritually. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Let's take a little pause right there. The two words, dead and disobedient. You know, we can be living a disobedient life to Jesus Christ and sometimes not even know it. I know that there may be people that you know it, you were raised in the church, you read your Bible, but I'm telling you, for me myself, I really didn't know the, how disobedient I was to Christ. I really didn't know how dead I was because in my mind, I'm thinking, if I'm going to get into heaven, it's because I'm a good guy. I was taught to be a good guy. I was taught to be a gentleman. I was taught to open the door. I was paying my bills. I was doing all of the good things, thinking my good works could get me in, which the Bible just flushes that thought. I just was reading. I'm like, wow. I couldn't believe that. Well, what is it then, you know? It, sometimes it can be that you are here today, and you just really don't know how dis, disconnected and dead we were. Do you know that um, Weight Watchers, several years back, I don't know if it's 10 years or whatever, something like that, Part of their Weight Watchers program was, you know, you count this, you count that, whatever. But the one thing that they gave you unlimited of was you could eat as much fruit as you wanted. That meant if you were ever hungry, you know, eat a watermelon. Then have a bushel full of apples. And then eat a bunch of oranges. And I thought to myself, knowing a little bit about sugar and knowing a little bit about the carbon, I thought, that's never going to work. And I knew some people were on that diet, and I knew some people were trying to lose some weight, and it just wasn't working, because I said, you can't eat all the fruit you want. And later on, they consulted me. That's a joke, huh? And they came to the point where they said, you can have fruit, but you can only have this much. Which added, Sometimes, there's just a little bit of an ignorance. We just don't really know what this is saying, but you're discovering it now, and you know now. Verse 3, all of us, thank you, Paul. Paul wrote to them in the Spirit of God saying, listen, I was there with you. Nobody here is judging anybody. Nobody's here trying to make anybody else feel any less. But all of us also lived among them at one time. What were we doing? Gratifying the cravings of our flesh, whatever Evan wanted, following its desires and its thoughts. You see, when it comes to a spiritual bank account at the beginning of this circle, every human being born is spiritually broke. What we do have is everything that's negative to our spiritual account, where there's transgressions, there's sins, the Scripture says, disobedience, cravings of the flesh, desires, my thoughts. Do you know why Jesus said, I did not to come to condemn the world, but to save the world? Do you know why Jesus said those words? Because he knows everybody born, and you do too, everybody born is born with a sinful nature. I don't care how cute your kid is, and it don't matter how good-looking I am, 
Now, that's good. That's, I mean, the truth is, is without Christ, this, we, he didn't need to condemn us because we're, what was passed on was that sinful nature. That's why he is saying what he is saying. They were spiritually broke. The idea that we are all good inside and we just have to bring out the bad is rubbish. It's what they're teaching in schools. It's what they're teaching in the world. You're really good. You just got to try to find it and get it out. That's a bunch of baloney. That's the Greek word for baloney. You know, it's, it's baloney. What happens and what is inside of us is wrong and evil and bad and dead according to the scriptures. That's where the spiritual circle begins. And we've just begun on our way around that circle. It starts right where we are. We're spiritually broke. That's why what we're going to share today is called good news. Number two in your notes, though we are broke, God is wealthy. I don't know what you consider wealth. Some people, they love their animals to death. Some people, they love family. Some people, it's money or whatever it might be. But what kind of wealth does God have? Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, we just sang several songs that said he knows your name. He knows you by name. Because of his great love for us. You know, aren't there some people you have a tough time liking? God has no issues with that. No matter what their person, he has so loved and is so rich, the scripture goes on to say, God who is rich in mercy. Forgiving people for what they've done and what they deserve. He is rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. You see, you are the focus of God's great love. You are the focus. He, he, he spends his great love, his rich mercy, and his, he spends it on human beings who will respond to him. And we're getting around the circle and he's handing out spiritual Benjamins to a bunch of Christians and a bunch of people who want what he has to offer, who want what he is rich in, mercy. Sometimes people have a tough time. They say, you don't know how I live my life for 30, 40, 50 years. It doesn't matter. God is so rich in mercy, it'll cover over what you've done. There's a condition though. There is a condition. What makes Jesus Christ different from any other God that people worship? Any other God all over the world? Think about Buddha. Think about Muhammad. Think about them all. They all want something from their followers. Our God, he's passing out what he has. He's giving his richness to our greatest need. The forgiveness of our transgressions and our sins and having a wife and an ability to live a different life. That's what it's supposed to be about for Christians. God, he, he is wealthy. But now, everybody here, you know it. You know it. It's in the scriptures. And so God is wealthy. Here we are. We're broke, and we know that. But he's willing to pass out his wonderful mercy. We're moving from around that spiritual circle, right? God is moving around the circle. He's passing out his mercy, his grace. But very few receive it. You would think it would be different. The truth is, the words of Jesus and two Gospels, Luke and in Matthew, very few find the narrow way. It's narrow because Jesus said it's only him, the one who has paid the price. Let's move around the circle a little bit further. Number three, we're broke, God's rich, he's wealthy, 
And then God gives us a seat at the table. He goes beyond just being merciful. He does something loving and wonderful. And I ask you the question today. After Jesus Christ had paid for our sins and risen from the dead, he told his disciples he was ascending to sit where? To be seated at the right-hand throne of the Father. He is there right now in a resurrected body, and the Bible says one day we will have a resurrected body like his. But right now, he's seated at the right-hand throne of the Father. Where are those who confess their sins, who receive that mercy, who are with Christ? When you think about Jesus Christ, when you talk to him, remember, picture, he's seated at the right-hand throne of the Father, and you have a seat there. Unless the scripture is wrong or I'm getting it wrong, take a look at verse 6. And God raised us up, W-I-T-H, with. With Christ. And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So the picture is, is that one time when Christ walked this earth, and now he's in heaven in a resurrected body, now here on this earth, but in regards to the spiritual realm, we are seated with Christ. And when you intercede and when you pray, when you talk to Jesus, he's sitting there at the right-hand throne of his Father. And when you talk to him, he talks to the Father on your behalf. That is the picture throughout the New Testament. Verse 7, in order that, why? In the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. Sometimes people paint a picture of who they think God is. This passage of Scripture talks about his kindness, his grace, his riches, his mercy for those who will but come to him. And, and, and why does he do that? So in the future, in eternity, you see it says in the coming ages, in eternity, that God can show how rich and wealthy and good he is. He is good. God is good, and some people say, yeah, good all the time, and this passage of Scripture uses the word incomparable. So in the future, God could show his incomparable riches. The word incomparable means without equal and unable to compare. Someday, people are going to take a look in eternity and say, oh my goodness, God's people, he raised them up in his kindness. He put us with Christ. You know, How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? How many of you have just seen a picture of the Grand Canyon but have not been there? All right. I'm going to the Grand Canyon. We affectionately call it the Big Crack. All right? And so in June, as many pictures as I have seen of the Grand Canyon, from what I'm told and from what I've experienced, I'm going to get to the Grand Canyon. It's going to be like, ah! And that's not because somebody fell. It's just going to be like, whoa, there's the south rim, there's the north rim, there's the side rim, there's the, it's just, you can see something in the picture, you can get a picture, but when you get there and when you see it live, it just looks so totally different, and that's the picture. It's not now, and I get it, you get it, but one day, his riches are going to be expressed in incomparable that God would do this with human beings and you and me. That's the picture found in Scripture. God gives us a seat at the table. 
And until we get to eternity, we'll never realize all that God has done for us, how great he is and how really good he is. He's taking us a little bit or farther around the circle because to come to a full circle means complete reversal of our original position. What's our original position? Broke. Spiritually broke. Transgressions, sin, all of that piled up, even our thoughts going after the flesh, all of that in our spiritual bank account, number four. God's gift then to us is God. God's gift to us is himself. The greatest incomparable thought is is that what God is going to do is he's going to give his son himself, a part of his family, the Father, Son, and the Spirit part of the trinity that's the son and another truth that we find in the scripture that makes God different from every other God the God that we serve is is no other God has given himself for you you're giving yourself you're sacrificing you're making a pilgrimage you're doing this to earn your salvation even in Jehovah Witness even in the latter day saints same thing verse 8 for it is by grace unmerited favor it's by grace Evan you've been saved through faith that's what the call is today will you change from what it is you're trusting where you're living to faith in Jesus Christ trusting him and what he's done through faith and this is not from yourself it's the gift of God a gift from God a gift of God the gift that he gave us was his son, Jesus Christ, verse 9. It's not by works so that no one can boast because everything else I was saying to you before was I was thought I was getting into heaven because I was good. The only problem is, is I really wasn't going to compare myself to anybody better than me. I compare myself to somebody who wasn't doing the good works that I was doing as good as me. Salvation, it didn't originate with you and me. Didn't start with us. We didn't know we needed it. We didn't even know enough to know to be able to ask for it. Our works could not have produced our salvation. In sixth grade, a friend of mine said, hey, why don't you come play hockey with me? I said, okay, never having played hockey in my life. Put a pair of skates on, you know, put a a weapon in a sixth grader's hand. That's awesome. That's really intelligent. But the equipment, you know, there were six of us in our family. The equipment was so expensive. A pair of skates, sis, 100 bucks. You know, the, the pants, you know, the big pants, they're, they're, they're bulky to be able to take a puck, you know, at 90 miles an hour, you know. The gloves are expensive. Sticks, you bust them all the time, 15 bucks, you know, in sixth grade. The helmet, the shoulder pads and all of that, we couldn't even afford it new, but my parents bought it used. And if I didn't have parents to pay the price, there's no way I'm playing hockey. My parents had to pony up. Could you imagine if they'd have ponied up and they bought it on and say, that's all right. I'm not playing. I have really changed my mind. And yet God, he has paid the price with his son to the cross. And the suffering, his death and resurrection, he has, he has paid the price. And so many people are just like, that's okay. You'll hear it today, and you'll hear that you, we are full of transgressions, and, and you'll just say, that's okay. I, I'm just going to stay right here. Because the hinge that goes from that full circle to where we are is faith. It's faith in what Jesus Christ has done. And all mankind is indebted to Jesus Christ for their salvation. Now we're just about all the way around the spiritual circle. Number five, we are clay in God's hands. 
Verse 8 and 9 is everything that God has done. Verse 10 is everything that is required of us now. I really get a little tired of hearing some really bad theology that says, Jesus Christ saves you, there's nothing you can do, and there's nothing we can do to get saved, but there's something we must do to be saved. You know you must repent. You know you must get to that place where verse 10 begins to say to you and me, for we are God's handiwork. Some scriptures, some pastors say that we're his masterpiece. We're his handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, Notice the good works come after, and they are necessary good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, let me tell you two things about God in creation. Number one, every person is created in God's image. You are his creation, but you're not his handiwork until you give your life to Christ, you yield to him, and you become clay in his hands. That may be silly putty, that may be clay, you, maybe you're just silly. But the scriptures clearly say that he is the potter, we are the clay. Mold me and make me, Lord, I pray. You are not saved to stay the way you are. You're not saved to sit. You're saved to be an important part of everything that Jesus Christ has commanded for you. Because you can be his creation, created, knit together. In his, in, we did a funeral yesterday, and that was true about you know, the person we spoke about. But you are not his handiwork until you yield to the fact that he's got good works prepared and put inside of you and gifts and talents for you to, on this earth, honor him and serve him. God did what only he could do. I admit that fully. I could not save myself. I could not be works. But now I can only do what Evan can do, and he can't do it. No one comes full circle until they become a servant of Christ and begin to fulfill the good works that he has prepared in advance. This is when you become full circle. You start out a rotten sinner, and you realize it. That's where I was. When I was 24, 25, I, I kind of just forgot about religion. I kind of became agnostic, pretty much. Lived my life for myself, and I didn't really realize how much I was really living according to the flesh in myself. I had set myself up as my God. I, I worshipped what I did. And so if you'll turn your notes over, there's five principles that Lifehouse Church teaches. Eventually, Soon, hopefully, we teach these several times a year. We're going to put them on the wall somewhere. But I want to go through five of them. And I want you to know if you get saved in this church, inside of our Bible that we're going to give to you as a gift is these five to guide and to direct you. Five principles that we practice at uh, Lifeline and Lifehouse. Number one is the Bible. Next, or inside your Bible, you ought to write two words, God's voice. God's voice. People have tried to tear the Bible down, have not been able to, because God protects it. God's voice. I need the Bible. I need to understand it. If you are a Bible teacher and you have the gift of teaching, you should be teaching. If not, you should be in a Bible study if you call yourself a Christian. Look at 2 John 1, 6. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. Don't tell me, don't tell God that, that you love him unless you're determined to walk in obedience to what he had to say. And how are you going to figure out what his commands are unless you're in the Bible? We're in it all the time. We're learning new things or being reminded of things that we know. 
It teaches us, it guides us, it's God's voice. For us, the Bible, number one, comes first. Secondly, comes prayer. And the reason I say that is because I don't really think that we know what to pray for unless we're in the Word. We hear God's voice. Do you know how many places in the Bible God answers yes to every time you pray that prayer? You ought to do a little research on that. Every t- there's prayer requests we have we don't know the answer to, but there's all kinds of prayers in the Scriptures that God says yes to. Every- Can you imagine saying, God, here I am, use me today, however you want. He says, nah, not today. No, every time. Here I am. Be open to it. It's a great wild ride, man. Prayer, 1 Peter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. It's really hard for Christians, true Christians, to try to express sometimes what it is that God has done in their heart. But all of that, even though we don't see him, we pray to him. We trust him. How many of you know that when I send an email out every week, there's a little note most of the time at the bottom that says, how about coming to church 15, 20 minutes early, coming to the altar and praying for the goals of our church, for our service this day, you know, for lousy preaching, for worship? How about, you have a part of what this church becomes and is. I invite you to come early and pray. Five minutes at the altar. Number three, serving. Serving. This is what, you read the scriptures and you think, wow, Jesus said he didn't come to be served. But he came to serve. And so this passage of scripture here is Jesus, after he's resurrected from the dead, this passage of scripture in John 21, and he approaches Peter, and what he says to Peter is three questions, three statements three questions, do you love me? And then he tells them a statement. And, and they have to do with how much he loves them and how much he cares for them. Remember, Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus comes back and asks him three times, do you love me? Can I ask you a question? Do you love Jesus? It's a question. Peter's dead. That question is for you and me. Do I love Jesus? Three things, three questions. They're not for Peter, they're for you. They're for me. You look at the three things that he says. He says, oh, yes, Lord, I love you. And he, so he says, well, then feed my lambs. Those are, those are Christians. Those are people. Those are new Christians, right? Verse 16, take care of my sheep. That's his flock. Those are Christians. Those, that's his church. Verse 17, feed my sheep. Do you get it? What would be different in our church? What would be missing if you never came back? Something great or nothing at all? God created you. He, he gave his life for you to change you. We don't stay the same. We become something different, and something different is in our church. We come here to serve. We come here to serve. Uh, the next one, number four, is giving. Second Corinthians 8, 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, all of these wonderful things to the church in Corinth, he says, see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. Yeah, oh boy, they're going to talk about money. Yes, I am. Because the Bible says where my money is is where my heart is. 
I gave my life to Christ. My wife and I was working in a welding shop and not making a whole lot of money. Heard that you're supposed to tithe. Heard that everything is the Lord's. The first tenth is His. And He has gotten it ever since. And much beyond that, to be able to do all kinds of different projects and things to make the kingdom go forward. Do you know the Bible says even our ability to produce wealth comes from Him? Think about it. Who gives breath? Who gives life? How do we move? My ability. Most of us think, whoa, I'm pretty smart, man. I'm pretty good at this. I got this figured out, you know. And we produce wealth. But God can take it away at any time. Everything we have is the Lord's. The first tenth is called the tithe. It is His. It is special. We were talking the other day about how many things. It isn't that God gives back money and stuff like that. Sometimes what God does is He'll bless us. Somebody comes along, he does HVAC, this just happened in our family. Somebody says, well, here, we have a, 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 used, a furnace, pretty good. Boom, free. 100 bucks to put it in, connected everything, boom. God can keep things from wearing out, too, the other side of it. Not my bones and my body, but other things I'm talking about, you know. Giving. It's a part of the five principles we teach, and last is fellowship, everybody. My command is this, Christians, you love each other as I have loved you. That's a pretty high calling. Greater love has no one other than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Spending time with Christians, being in Bible study, this week and every week on Wednesday, there's a meal at 6 o'clock. Bible study is at 7. Awana starts here at, 6, uh, at 6.45. You come, you come at 6 o'clock. I think it's 5 bucks, a maximum of 15 bucks for a family. If you don't have money, just come eat with us. We're going to have a meal together. We're going to have fellowship. Folks, fellowship begins when we end. To just have all... I understand once in a while you got something planned, so you screwed out, you know. This is an opportunity after church, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it is, to fellowship with somebody. Because on your way here, a Christian says, Jesus, at church today, here I am. Is there some way you could use me or help me speak to somebody or help somebody or get somebody's car in the parking lot or help somebody, up the, whatever it might be? Thinking about somebody else because you might be on the receiving side of that. Fellowship is so important. Why are you just running out at the end of service? We try to build a time of fellowship. I get it once in a while. But in your notes at the bottom, it says, you know, when you have come full circle, you've come from that place that I was at, spiritually broke. All the way around that circle to finding my gifts, my talents, you finding your gifts, your talents, and serving God and what it is you do. Let's get ready to do a funeral yesterday. And realized I had been running around doing everything. And, and, and I saw Jim and Laura over there. And I said, I'm getting ready to get up here. And I haven't. I just had this great sense I needed prayer. And so I know Jim and I know Laura. There are people. I went over there, just bowed my head right with them. They prayed over us. And what a great sense of God's presence. To be there, to be a servant. Some people up front, some people behind. You know we're getting ready to, in, in March to go to two bands. One at each church. We're going to need some people at each church to step up, become part of our bands, so that one band doesn't have to travel from one place to the other with the hopes of us being able to simulcast and change some of our service times a little earlier here and different things. We're clay in God's hands, and the asterisk in your notes is a little bit of a funky statement. I said it that way so I could explain it to you. It's simply this. Would you fill it in? Central point. God did so we could do. 
God did so we could do. God did what only he could do. We could not save ourselves. I couldn't do it. It's not by good works. He did so I would do what I'm called to do. You have to do what you're called to do. You can't do his part. He can't do your part. You un- you're not a Christian unless you are a part of all five of these, coming and growing and learning. Don't tell me who you are what you are because you're going against what Scripture says. Jesus gave a very hard teaching on those who are gifted and don't serve. Matthew 24, 25? Not really a pleasant a pleasant scenario. So I ask you this question, which of the five is number one to you? Which of the five? Grab a pen or something. Number one, what are you doing the best at? What maybe even comes easiest to you? Boom. Don't write two, three, or four in. Write number five in. What, are you, what do you need the most help in? What are you lagging in? What is it that you need to increase? You know it. Number one, number five, and then two, three, and four, fill it in later. But you know number one, oh, you, you know, some of you, you are great at prayer. And you pray, and I just, that's your gift. I admire that so much. I constantly need to grow in that. But what is it for you today that you need to know and grow in? All five of these are principles that you and I need to be practicing as Christians. Tonight, there's going to be a game that they've been talking about for a while. Rubber Bowl, Super Bowl, something like that. On the offensive side, my team is Tom Brady. I just, get, I just told you all who I'm voting for, right? You got a quarterback. You got running backs. Number three, you have wide receivers. Inside of them are big people that can block and run their tight ends. Then you got a line. You got five components to that offense. You take away any one of those components and see if you could win the Super Bowl. Why do we think we can take any one of these five away, not practice it, be a part of it, and think, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm just fine? Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, as we prepare our hearts today to see what it is that you're speaking to us about. The scriptures are so very clear, and I definitely have lived this. I know what it means to be far from Christ, no doubt about it. But what you have done in my life is I'm hoping and praying, I'm your handiwork. I was your creation, and now everybody here, they're your handiwork. And I love to see the giftedness that you have given to people who love you and serve you. Throughout the week, people will come and they say, hey, I did with the sound system. Hey, I did this. I came and I did some painting. And other people came and they did this. And they're, they're, they're serving you and they're taking care of your house. And those that can, they give. And those that serve, serve where they're at. And people are learning how to pray. And people are praying for other people. And we are a family. Lord, where we are weak in these five, strengthen us. Teach us something to help strengthen where we are weak, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if you find one of those areas that you are weak, this is kind of what I do for a living. I can help you, possibly give you guidance and direction on one of those points, or maybe I can help you by pointing you to somebody else who might be good there. So 